Hello, listeners, and welcome to TP Talks, PwC's Global Transfer Pricing Podcast Series. My name is Dana Hart, and on today's podcast, we are featuring a discussion on transfer pricing and ESG. This discussion took place during our 2021 Global Transfer Pricing Conference and features PwC transfer pricing professionals Ronan Finn. Ronan is the TP country leader for Ireland and is PwC's Global TP ESG leader. Nor Sanders. Nor is a transfer pricing partner located in Amsterdam and is the ESG leader in the EMEA region. Shane McAvoy, a transfer pricing partner located in New York. Shane is the ESG leader for the Americas. And Jade Thompson, a transfer pricing partner located in Sydney. And Jade is the ESG leader for the Asia-Pac region. Ronan, Jade, Shane, and Nord discuss financial transactions, deals, value chain analysis, and transparency as it relates to ESG. Have a listen. Hello, my name is Ronan Finn, and I'm the Ireland TP country leader. I also lead our global TP ESG service offering. And today I want to give you an introduction to ESG and TP, and I also introduce you to my colleagues who are leading the ESG TP rollout in their regions. But first, let's go back to basics. What is ESG? ESG is a set of criteria that relates to environmental, social, and governance metrics. It considers how a company performs for the environment, its stakeholders, and communities. And over the last couple of years, we've seen a rapid transition away from a business environment that focuses primarily on business outcomes to now where ESG is used to maintain the social contract. Events like COVID and the Black Lives Matter movement have accelerated the pressure on companies to act responsibly. And the benefits of adopting this approach are clear. Research shows that 90% of companies with a clear purpose outperform industry averages in growth and profitability. Investors, consumers, and policymakers are increasingly placing higher expectations on business to do more to contribute to society's shared endeavors. The rise of ESG provides businesses with an opportunity for value creation. However, this also comes with risks. There is a huge increase in ESG regulation globally, and we are also seeing a substantial increase in the use of comparative ratings for companies based on reporting and perceptions of environmental, social and governance performance. Failure to act on ESG could result in a loss of trade due to consumer preferences, impacts on the cost of capital or access to capital in the first place, and missed opportunities to capture market growth, including, for example, the inability to attract talent. Failure to authentically embed ESG in the DNA of a business could result in damage to reputation and share value, or even penalties in some instances. As a core part of the architecture of any business, the tax function, and therefore by default transfer pricing, has a key role to play in ensuring that an organization's ESG journey is as smooth as possible. When I mention ESG to many of my colleagues, the first question I get is, what is the crossover between ESG and transfer pricing? And in truth, a lot of us think of the environment and climate change when we think of ESG. And in fairness to date, a lot of the discussion focus has been on the E. However, particularly for tax and transfer pricing, our focus should ultimately be across all three. Companies should focus on ESG factors as drivers of value creation and levers to manage risk rather than simply looking to comply with existing ESG reporting regulations. ESG will drive monumental changes in business models. It will result in huge spending, which will not just be for window dressing. It will need to be productive. It will change the facts and value drivers. It will have a significant impact on the supply chain. Consider the circular strategies and related impact. For example, recycling might impact the procurement function. 
parts harvesting, reuse and refurbishing might require centralized supply chains. And we know that any changes to the supply chain usually have TP implications. And these changes are happening right now. Governance includes tax transparency and tax policies. It's pretty difficult these days to talk about your tax policy without TP being right in the middle of the discussion. TP has been at the heart of the transparency discussion. For example, country-by-country country reporting, and now the EU's proposed public CBCR. So the aim of today is to give you a flavour of the things to consider when we talk about ESG and TP. In particular, we're going to focus on financial transactions, deals, value chain analysis, and transparency. And I now want to introduce you to my colleagues who are leading ESG and TP in their region to discuss the TP issues to consider in relation to ESG. Jade Thompson is from our Sydney office, is leading out in Asia PAC. Noor Sanders is in Amsterdam, looks after EMEA. And Shane McAvoy from New York is leading the Americas. So starting with transformation consulting and coming to you first, Shane, what are the opportunities and issues you see for us here when you look at a value chain analysis with an ESG lens? Yeah, thanks, Roland. Um, so within BCT, if we think about transformation consulting, you know, I think as a top priority and key focus area for multinational company boards, C-suites and management. ESG is now really a key driver for organizational growth and transformation, probably across most, if not all industries, including, for example, aviation, consumer and industrial products, financial services, pharma and life sciences, as well as technology. Um, a number of recent studies actually indicate that companies leading on ESG show stronger financial performance and operating performance, um, including if you take into account factors like brand, um, growth, operating margin, return on invested capital, as well as cost, cost of capital and funding. So ESG is now expected by many multinationals to have a material transformational impact on their value chains and supply chains going forward. So I think we and TP have a unique skill set that positions us really well to assist our clients conduct value chain analysis, as you mentioned, to really understand and evaluate the specific impact ESG may have on their business operations. So examples of the types of impacts that ESG can have on value chains include, you know, if you think about sourcing strategies, um, sustainable and ethical sourcing approaches, locations and inputs, you know, impact of recycling on procurement, and if you think about IP development, uh, we can analyze and help to look at impact on brand name and reputation, manufacturing and production technologies and know-how, innovation and sustainability and recycling and, and packaging. Um, and then just more broadly thinking about supply chains and operating models in general, you know, measuring supply chain carbon footprint, um, the new revolution in products as, as a service will help will change trans transactional flows and functional profiles. Um, and then, of course, net zero ambitions will impact global operating footprints and logistics flows, including, again, manufacturing and production processes and transportation and travel. And Shane, you've also mentioned when we were talking previously on this that you're, you're currently working with a couple of clients and actually live projects in this area. You might just talk a little bit about that. You know, an interesting topic that we're currently actively exploring with a few of our multinational clients here here in the U.S., you know, is really thinking about whether ESG can be considered to create value or IP by itself or whether it's better viewed as being embedded within existing value chain elements. Again, you know, I think our, our transfer pricing team is really well placed to help lead this type of analysis 
And this also gives us a really good opportunity uh, for collaboration and coordination with our consulting colleagues in advisory. Um, you know, and, and working together with them, we can help clients shape how and where the ESG function operates and explore whether there are advantages such as tax incentives or R&D credits available for these types of activities, um, or whether there's an opportunity to sort of strategically locate IP DEMPI functions in, in different places. Um, and maybe just one last thought, you know, I have focused a lot so far on the on the E or environmental aspects of, of value chains and supply chains, but of course, you know, we do need to mention that the S and the G are, are of course equally important. And the move to greater transparency with increased reporting requirements and public scrutiny means that tax is no longer viewed just as a business cost, but also an important and valuable contribution to society. So going forward, I think in addition to the focus on sustainable and competitive effective tax rates that we've historically had in our NRTP and VCT practice, you know, we'll also need to help our clients think about the bigger picture in terms of total tax contribution going forward. Okay, thanks, Shane. Jade, anything to add there? Yeah, Ronan, I mean, I echo all of Shane's points. I think this is an absolutely critical area for companies to help them reach their ESG goals and achieve their net zero targets. And it's pretty clear that transfer pricing is going to play a significant role in this. And there's also a great opportunity to create some real value in the process. But a couple of, um, a couple of additional thoughts from me. The first one is that in transforming supply and value chains to become more sustainable, there's going to be a bigger focus on green taxes, levies and other charges imposed by countries, not to mention things like carbon pricing. There's also going to be a focus on green incentives and other subsidies available. And it raises some questions about de-risking global footprints and how a supply and value chain should be structured, which Shane um, touched on as well. And, and that obviously has flow-on implications for us in transfer pricing. The other point I just wanted to make really quickly is that I think there's going to be a greater demand by investors and other stakeholders for companies to disclose their plans for how their business models will be compatible for limiting global warming and, and how they're going to transition their global footprint, which obviously requires close collaboration with tax and particularly transfer pricing from both a strategic and a compliance perspective as well. So just a couple of additional things from me. Thanks a million, Jade. Um, a lot of great points covered there, guys. Nor, do you want to add anything? Yeah, I think a lot has been said. Maybe just one very specific point to add. It's emission trading rights, um, of which prices will go up and which might create, uh, create significant additional costs, and even more so if compensated to achieve net zero goals rather than reducing emissions. And I think the key question that we need to consider here is how to allocate such costs within a group um, and can you determine an arm's length price uh, if within the group there are uh, polluting manufacturing entities which have a need for emission trading rights compared to others who've made significant investments and have an excess of those trading rights? Great, thanks, thanks, Norris. Um, turning now to financial transactions, um, and maybe I turn to you, Nor. what should we be thinking about in this area and what are you hearing from clients and in the network? 
Yeah, thanks, Ronan. Um, I, I think there's there's two elements to explore here. Um, one, I think, is in general what I hear from clients, but also from my colleagues in debt advisory, is that ESG is increasingly a key factor in financing. And I think the drivers are regulatory uh, requirements, societal demand, uh, which initially forced institutional investors like pension funds to incorporate ESG in their investment decisions. But this cascades down along the financing chain where we increasingly see, for example, PE funds focusing on the ESG strategies of their portfolio companies. Um, from a compliance perspective, on the one hand, but increasingly from a value creation process. Uh, and this is in itself already means that, for example, portfolio companies need to develop an ESG strategy, but really also execute and report on this. And this could impact the business model and supply chain. Uh, and then we get back to Shane's point on value, um, value change transformation. So for financial instruments itself, this means that we increasingly see sustainable finance products, such as green bonds, but also sustainable project specific financing for the development of, for example, wind farms. And the fact that the issuance of green bonds grew to a record uh, level in 2020, despite COVID-19, indicates uh, that um, there's robust investor appetite for investment vehicles that actively contribute to the ESG goals. And these products are generally speaking positive motivators offering a premium or as the market is calling it premium for financing ESG compliant projects uh, or companies. And I think what you also see is that rating agencies already claim that they embed ESG considerations in uh, their credit rating assessment but there are even companies that have developed specific methodologies to determine ESG risks. And I think closer to home, um, our, our audit colleagues need to make uh, statements on business continuity, taking into account ESG, which might also again impact um, uh, the ability to attract financing in the market or the price at which you can do this. So considering these market developments, I think it's very relevant to understand what the implications are or intercompany financial uh, arrangements. And some key questions in this regard could be, so what is the appropriate method to price intercompany financing if it's funded with ESG bonds or loans? And if a greenium exists, how should such benefits be allocated within the group? And what is the impact of ESG considerations on a borrower's debt service capacity? Well, and I think a more general question, which is interesting to, to have a discussion about is, should these financial transaction analyses inherently be a more integrated part of the business-focused CP analysis, given that it's so closely linked to the overall strategy of a company? There's some great questions posed there for everybody. Jade, anything you want to add? Yeah, just one thing, Ronan, um, and then it's perhaps sort of a bigger picture issue on this whole sustainable financing point that Noor just took us through. But one thing is investors and funds they're increasingly looking to more sustainable investments. And if companies haven't embraced ESG and incorporated in, it into their mainstream business, it's very likely that investment funds available to those companies that have not put ESG policies in place may decline, which could increase the cost of capital and financing for those companies over time. So something that I think is, you know, really you know, forward thinking issue and something that could have a, a big issue on multinationals around the globe. Thanks, Jade. Um, might move on now to transparency. Um, and the transparency agenda has been with us for a while now. Indeed, it drove a lot of the BEPS debate over the last number of years. 
But I might come to you first, Jade, on this. Where do you see ESG and RTP practice playing in this space? Wow. Where to start? <laughs> I think transparency has become one of the most important drivers of international tax changes in the past decade, with the ESG agenda acting as a further catalyst for these changes. Views of the role and function of companies in society and their impact on society is changing, particularly in the context of big events like the COVID-19 pandemic. Tax is becoming a sustainability issue for many stakeholders who are taking more interest in the broader financial affairs of businesses and their tax reporting and how that aligns with their company's values and purpose. Transfer pricing documentation, including country-by-country country reporting, master files and local files, and other forms of transfer pricing disclosures as we currently know them, will need to capture how ESG is impacting the business its supply and value chain and the underlying intercompany transactions. If we take, for example, functional analysis in our local files, we'll need to consider different risks to include in the analysis, such as business continuity, increased costs as a result of levies and other green related charges, and even changes in financing costs. We're also gonna be challenged to think about whether ESG is a value driver for the business and as Shane was talking about earlier, even whether it could give rise to an intangible asset. From a pricing perspective, we'll need to think about the impact on how we characterize transactions and arrangements and how do you price them? Can a significantly polluting factory and an energy efficient zero emission factory both be characterized as routine manufacturers? These are the types of questions that I think we're all gonna to need to ask ourselves as we continue through this ESG journey. When it comes to governance, um, we're living in an era of transparency where society's expectations in terms of openness around corporate profits, taxes paid, tax strategy and policy are at an all time high. Until recently, the demand for this information was really just limited to investors and those with special reasons to care. But the dial has shifted and society as a whole is becoming more interested in the way that businesses are conducting themselves. And transfer pricing is a critical component of any tax structure and tax policy implemented. Businesses need to understand their data and what story they wanna tell because it's much better to be in control of your own narrative than to have someone else to tell your story. I think this is particularly important with the EU's recent push to publicly release C by C reports. Whilst there are arguably still a number of hurdles that need to be jumped through before C by C um, reports will actually be released to the public, those organisations, whether they're headquartered in the EU or not, will need to publicly disclose the corporate income tax paid in each EU member state plus in each of the countries that are on either the EU blacklist or the EU grey list, as well as the corporate income tax paid across the globe, albeit disclosed on an aggregated sort of rest of world basis. So even though there's a relatively long lead time, companies need to be thinking about how they're going to comply with the additional public country by country reporting requirements, what systems and processes are needed, what's the timing and strategy for raising this internally with boards and making sure that there's enough lead time before this comes in to do that. 
and conducting dry runs to understand the data, how it might be interpreted and how you might articulate and explain what the data is showing. Companies are going to need to be able to articulate their total tax contribution and have a tax policy that's predictable, explainable and sustainable to help build trust and transparency with their stakeholders. And transfer pricing um, goes to the heart of all of that. The other key point, Ronan, that I just wanted to make quickly is just in relation to the Global Reporting initi Initiative, which is known as GRI. It's an international independent uh, standards organisation that helps businesses, governments and other organisations understand and communicate their impacts on issues such as climate change, human rights and corruption. The last point that I wanted to make on transparency and, and transfer pricing's role in this space is around GRI. GRI released their new standard for public reporting of tax, GRI 207, which is relevant to reports issued from 2021. GRI standards are the most widely adopted standards um, for sustainability reporting. And if your organisation has signed up to GRI, then you must also consider your reporting requirements under GRI 207 to the extent that tax is material, which in most cases it is. Taxes play a vital role in achieving the sustainable development goals. They're the key mechanism by which organisations contribute to the economies of the countries in which they're operating. And GRI's new reporting standard on tax enables organisations to better understand and communicate information about their tax practices and their transfer pricing um, publicly. I think that's going to be a key focus of, um, of ours in the, in the years to come as this continues to gain momentum. Well, as you said, Jade, a lot covered there. There's, there's really a, a lot to think about. And I think particularly the point you bring out on GRI um, is particularly relevant. I'm seeing that even with a lot of clients in Ireland who are saying they're fully compliant with GRI, but there's no mention of tax in that statement. So it is hard to believe that tax isn't material for, for those companies. So I think that's an area we're going to see much more of over the next few years. Uh, Nor, anything else you want to add there? Yeah, I think, well, it might be stating the obvious, but as Jade explained, I think it's very important to do dry runs and prepare for the, the increased transparency and, and publicly sharing the data of the company. And in this, and I think we've seen examples in the past, also just pre-BEPS, where I think we were not always sufficiently aware or our clients were not sufficiently aware of the fact that we as experts might be able to tell the technical story behind the data but I think the key question here is, can it be explained to, for example, for example, a journalist or an investor or an NGO who really looks at the issue very differently? Um, and I think it's just important to bear that in mind in, in everything that we do, that it echoes the ESG kind of uh, thought behind it. Last area I want to spend a, a few moments on, guys, is on deals. And coming back to you again, first, maybe, Noor, um, what do you see as the main issues to be conscious of here? Yeah, thanks, Ronan. And I believe that the first three topics really come together in a deal situation and over the entire life cycle. On the governance side, it requires a clear tax and TP strategy. You need to be able to report on this to potential buyers in a private sales situation, but also in your prospectus in case of an IPO. And ESG will be a driver for value creation. If clients fail to consider ESG appropriately, I think there can be a negative impact on the success of deals. And I think any pre or post deal transformation or integration will have TP implications 
be it from an operational perspective or from a financing perspective. Shane, anything else you want to add there? You know, I think we really need to integrate ESG into the pre and post deal TP analysis um, to help our clients, you know, really adopt a, a value mindset um, in assessing ESG risk and opportunity. Great. Thanks, Shane. Jade, I might give you the final word in this area. <laughs> it's always nice to have the final word, Ronan. Um, I think ESG will continue to permeate through the entire deal life cycle. And we're seeing a real focus on responsible and sustainable investment, as we've spoken about today. When it comes to ESG tax due diligence, um, I think there's a, an increased focus on understanding how tax and transfer pricing are working, what governance protocols are in place, um, what tax and transfer pricing strategies there are and policies, etc. And it's not just to understand the associated risk with the organisation, but as Shane and, and Nora have both mentioned, um, it's also to work out where the future opportunities might lie as well. So I think definitely something to think about from a pre and, and post deals perspective. My thanks to Jade, Nora and Shane for their insights. Um, I think as you see, ESG will affect all parts of the economy and therefore following the logic of the arm's end principle, these changes will need to be reflected in the T's and C's of intercompany transactions. From a TP perspective, it is a lens through which we should view a group's value chain, its financing, due diligence on deals, and how we document our policies, and on and on. So I hope you found this discussion useful in starting that process. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.